So hello everyone. Uh, my name is Vikas Agrawal. I am the founder of AIF and PMS Experts India. AIF is your alternate investment funds, and PMS is nothing but portfolio management service. So we are a platform. So we are emerging as one of the largest platform for investing in alternate investments and portfolio management services. Uh, and in fact, what we are witnessing is huge value migration from mutual funds to AIFs and PMSs of late. So at AIF and PMS Experts India, we run this show called Ask the Expert, where we invite industry experts. We try and read their mind, uh, try and understand what's happening around the industry because they bring some sort of expertise on the table. And with me, I'm glad to share that with me. I've, I've, I had a series of discussion with Apurva uh, in the past and invited him. And finally, I got his time today. I could manage to... Uh, get 30 minutes of slot from him. So with me, I have Mr. Apurva Gora. He's the co-founder at Pinowall Venture Private Limited. Um, and he, is, you know, so he brings about almost uh, uh, three decades of experience on the table. And I personally happen to know him and have been following all his uh, data points that they share at Pinolution. So, so Apurva, first of all, thank you so much for accepting our request. Absolute, and the time. Ab absolute my pleasure, please, Vikas. Yeah. yeah. So the whole idea of this show, Ask the Expert at AIPMS Apurva is to educate and empower the investor community as a whole. Uh, you know, we, we really don't chase too much about products, etc. But what we really tell them that what's happening and if they can take out some information and take out the time from their busy schedule and, and try and know more about it, they can take the advantage of that. So idea is to build Correct. the AIF and PMS culture in India. You know, uh, that's the thought process. Um, so let me have the privilege of introducing Apurva. So is as I said, he's the co-founder uh, out there at Pinoval uh, Venture Private Limited. It's a joint venture between Pinolution LLP, which is of course a business consulting firm for wealth managers and operating from Mumbai and Gibbs City, both Gandhinagar. And also the India Accelerator, an award-winning startup accelerator based out of Delhi and presence in Ahmedabad. So they both the organization have come together. And they also have presence Correct. in Dubai and Silicon Valley. So the whole collaboration, we will try and read his mind that what was the reason of this collaboration. Uh, and then they they uh, uh, you know filed their first product, which is an angel fund. You know, so there are two. Uh, they, they, there's a difference here. A normal AIF of Cat One requires minimum threshold of one crore and two and three. But in case of angel funding, it has brought down to twenty five lakhs. So we'll try and read his mind today. What was the reason and is there a, a rational that, you know, maybe the regulator wants ecosystem to, to be improved and more and more number of people to participate in the whole angel funding uh, culture in India. Uh, so today's topic is uh, startup as an investment. I mean, that's an asset class. We talk about that because that is really shaping up well in India. Uh, I remember uh, a decade back, the uh, number of unicorns in India were very less. I mean, they were hardly two or three, uh, which is now grown to more than 100. So Apurva has been doing a lot of studies in this area. So today is a very exclusive and great session that I am looking forward and try and learn more from Apurva. So Apurva, over to you. Uh, my first yes, question sir. is, yeah. So my first question is, uh, what's happening in uh, startup industry? Maybe if you can begin from there and then we'll build on it. So, uh, first of all, thank you, uh, Vikas, for, for inviting me for the show because uh, uh, you've been doing a great work in your segment. And, and this uh, becomes a medium for us to share some of the thoughts on uh, one particular asset class today, which is startups. Uh, the way we look at it is that 
see in in almost no time india has become the third largest ecosystem for startups in the world today uh a lot of people question the legitimacy of 1 lakh 14000 odd startups which are registered in the country today uh this number was barely any number say about 4 years 5 years back uh, you spoke about unicorns even the number of startups in india were almost less, almost like 5000 close to 5 years back so what happened in 5 years where the numbers grew from 5000 to 1 lakh 14000 which is the data as on 3rd of october so because the first very honest answer to that is that there were startups even before there have been startups that have happened even before five years and they happen today as well one big difference that has happened is it earlier startups were not registered under any platform uh there was a platform which was created by the government of india by name startup india and it is not mandatory for a startup to get registered but there are benefits of registration so when a startup start looking at it, there is a benefit of me being registered today startups have started going and registering their businesses in the platform and therefore the government now has got data of the total number of startups if there is no registration platform how would anybody sitting in delhi even know what is the total number of startups that exist in india so while this number of 5000 to 1 lakh 14000 doesn't mean that startups have suddenly grown it means that the startups have registered and now there are more and more startups which are coming open to register themselves we need to remember that the moment you have registration done once the government knows which are the startups which are doing what kind of activity then the government will be in a position to study the data and look at the pain points which is where the biggest advantage lies that now we are a much more regulated environment for startups and therefore there are a lot of remedial measures which you will see in the days to come uh, which is one major advantage and i will end on one another note if you look at this year's budget speech of nirmala sitaraman there was 21 times the reference of word startup in that speech right now 10 years back if indian finance minister was presenting a budget speech and no offense to any any sector we could have heard agriculture word 21 times but the word startup would not have come up 21 times mm. so today the government understands the importance of startups and that is where the entire ecosystem is looking much better than it was few years back so that's my sure long or short summary whatever you can call sir no, no, thank you thank you you gave us the great insight that now everybody has come together now this is a story yes. from one organized to organized where you are able to take a glance in terms of how many of them are there and what are they doing you know so it okay. becomes easy for uh, uh, external players uh, foreigners to look at what we are doing uh, okay. and at the same time government for uh, government to see uh, what is the growth uh, recorded by them Okay. one question is you know i think uh, if i can recollect so been uh, following some data points us used to be where we are both in terms of size of the economy 1981 or 1982 perhaps or maybe the 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 way they were supporting startups during that time and they grew from 2 and 1/2 to 5 trillion dollar and so on so 
do you see the similar sort of situation here where there is good amount of support coming from regulator or the supports are only spoken by our politicians and not been shown in the ground uh, because you've been talking to a lot of startups before they invest a and b uh, uh, you know your uh, thoughts on uh, where are we headed over to you okay so because if uh, if we were to make comparisons with not only us but let me make comparison with us and china both now right and if you look at both these countries the way things have moved in both these countries very interesting data set for us to look at uh, if i look at the number of unicorns us and china are well ahead of india in terms of generating unicorns because india has done a very late catch up right uh china was about a decade earlier and us was about two and a half decades earlier or three decades earlier than india in this space so if i look at that i am not too disappointed for a simple reason that in china you have close to about 165 odd unicorns in india we are at about 110 odd a 10 year catch up for us to do and if that is a kind of gap that we are in we have covered great distance is what we say now even better would be if i talk about the investor count or the growth of investors in each of these markets if i look at the last 3 year numbers us has been growing at 13% year on year in terms of new investors coming into this space china that count is only 2% india that count is 37% oh right so the number of investors who are now embracing startup investments is growing at a significant rate though of course we need to remember that india's base is much lower but the speed is now catching up so we are we are definitely in a catch up mode without a doubt but even bigger data set for us to look at is the number of institutional investors or funds all in all in india roughly and this is not an exact number but by and large uh, a published number again is that india is roughly about 2500 odd institutions which are there to support the startup ecosystem this is as compared to china which has got about 5400 odd and us is about 14000 so again if i look at the absolute numbers india is lagging behind china and us by a huge margin but let's understand the institutions which are growing that three year cagr growth of india is 31% compared to us at 9% and china at 4% so we are growing in number of investors we are growing in number of institutions this is making india a very very interesting sweet spot finally the only area where we are lagging behind and lagging behind by a good margin is that and this is about a one year old data i'm sure one year things would have changed marginally but of all the money that gets invested into startups in india nearly 74% of that money come from foreigners indian investors only 20 indian investors account for only 26% of investments in india but because you have been in this business for long you know it very well the same was the scenario with us in the listed equity space about a decade back 
FIIs were having much bigger belief in India's growth story than we domestic investors were having just mm. about 10 15 years back i'm very sure things will change in startups also in the same fashion it always begins with institutions the retail investors follow a little later the institutional growth is much better the investors growth will see now and the retail investors will also start looking at startups in a better way in the days to come so this is how i look at growth uh going thank forward you. thank you thank you so much for sharing these important data points it becomes very relevant for us and it reminds me you know like for example from 2010 to 2020 almost a decade when these companies have really become unicorn so called you talk about paytm you talk about you know uh, uh, grow or many other but isme indian investor ka paisa nahi bana i mean Correct. not indian investor can say ki mera ola 300 times ho gaya i mean hardly i meet one or two percent people like the amani jis of the world i mean the, their family offices who can say that only ki mera 1% one crore has become now 200 crore but ola alone has grown more than 200 to 300 times uh, you know that's story uh, from unorganized to organized but unfortunately we as an investor did not play out so now that so i've got a lot of questions for you today uh, please I, please for mine <laughs> i'll be asking you a couple of So that please to my third question which is now you tell us what is going on in regulators mind when it comes to AIF category 1 particularly a b what is the difference between normal AIF and angel funding angel fund uh, b and what was the reason of uh, uh, having a minimum threshold of only 25 lakhs that gives more uh, you know uh, flexibility to in, uh, investors uh, at Correct. the level So these are the two three questions clapped together. If you can. So 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 very relevant question. So let me first highlight all other kinds of AIFs have a minimum ticket size of one crore only as a, as an investment commitment. Now for startups, uh, it is important that even very very critical for government to ensure that startups actually thrive and do better. Usually, what happens is that if you give a 1 crore minimum ticket size as a compulsion and i if i also have to operate in the same fashion as other larger vc so i call these kind of funds as micro vc funds if a micro vc fund has to perform just the same way as a vc fund or a private equity fund would be then you will not be able to develop the angel ecosystem that very nicely keeping that in mind stebi gave this small concession of making the ticket size to be of 25 lakhs as a commitment but does it mean that sebi has given this concession in sabko jo karna hai kar lo with 25 lakhs no the answer is not that in fact if you look at there are more number of players who are getting into cat 2 funds rather than they get into category 1 fund because category 1 fund has a huge operational challenge which not too many people talk about and the reason why operating or running a category 1 angel fund is slightly difficult so i'll give you a simple example how is how is this different than a vc fund if i am running a vc fund i have a mandate on behalf of the investor to build a portfolio based on my investment thesis so if i come to you and promise that i will invest in growth stage companies which are turning around which are not profit making today but likely to make profit within one year will filter and invest into those companies you know very well what kind of companies i will invest in but then i have 
the freedom to build the portfolio on your behalf. While SEBI has given us concession for 25 lakhs in CAT1 Angel Fund, SEBI has put one thing which is very difficult for a lot of people to operate, which is that you need to take approval of the investor before any investment is made. Which means that if I am investing in, into a fund with your 25 lakhs of commitment, and if I'm investing into 35 startups with these 25 lakhs, I will have to come to you 35 times and take approval of your money to go into the startup. Which could mean that if I have got 200 investors, I might theoretically have 200 different enemies for me to manage. Because every investor I need to take a consent from, that is an operational challenge for these kind of funds, because of which a lot of people don't come and enter into this space. Because for this, you need a large operational team and a bandwidth for you to be able to run this kind of fund. There have been instances in the past where somebody would have you know, looked at it in a very smart way, but we always believe that investors should decipher between smart and smartness and sincerity. There are a lot of people who could be smart. So one smart way which, which have happened in the past is that I take a blanket approval from the investor. If I'm getting 65 pages signed from the investor in name of contribution agreement, there could be one more page which says, I authorize Mr. Vikas Agarwal to take investment decisions on my behalf. Now it's as, as good as having a power of attorney on behalf of 100 investors. I'll take your consent and I'm done with my investments. Legally speaking, that's not something which is in the spirit of SEBI. And therefore, Operationally, this becomes a little challenging. So while there are advantages of a lower ticket size, it becomes a bit of an operational challenge for people like us to run this. This is how this is different than others. Otherwise, it's very much... And, and that's why really it is. No other difference, yes. It's a proper legal structure. There is absolutely the same kind of reporting that a fund, CAT1 angel fund will have to do to SEBI, the same way as they would do for a CAT2 or a CAT3 fund. Structurally, there is no difference. Yeah. Can you also talk about the disclosure, the portfolio disclosure, the NAV, how frequently is there a guideline? Yes. So unfortunately, this is not a product where you can have valuations on a regular basis. Right. So the mandate is that you need to have a once in a year audited report and a disclosure of NAV and portfolio valuation that you need to make to your investors. Now, there are multiple ways in which we have the freedom to express our valuation. So let me give an example. Say I invested in one company at hypothetically 100 crore valuation. Now, within six months, nine months, this company's valuation becomes 200 crores. It raises money from someone else and closes around well within one year itself. The day it closes around from external investors and the valuation is validated to be 200 crores. In my dashboard, I can showcase this as my valuation jump proportionately for that company. And I can say that the valuation of this company has gone double. Right. Right. Which is what I can show on the dashboard. But dashboard is not binding on me, nor from a regulatory standpoint. So if an external auditor confirms that this valuation of 200 crores is legitimate, then he will allow me to put in the valuation report for that particular company. And I will share the statement to you, which says your amount of one lakh rupee here has become now two lakh rupees. 
So this uh, appointment of auditor, is there any intervention uh, by the regulator or no. any reservations from their end? No. There, are, there are no reservations of that kind. Okay, so it's on the uh, fund house to decide. It is on, it is on, it is on the fund house. To okay. The fund house decides the custodian, the fund house decides uh, the trusteeship companies, uh, the RTA, everything is decided by the fund house. But it is disclosed to SEBI that these are the people who will perform which duties for us. That is disclosed as part of the PPM, the private placement memorandum as we call it, to SEBI. Sure. Now that takes me to my fourth question, which is valuations. Yes. That's a very gray area in Indian markets. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my question is that now, because uh, there, are, there are no exchanges where you can actually see the price which is defined by the market, now, how do Correct. I value, uh, for example, if I, I would have invested in Baiju's 10 years back, how would I right. see whether the valuation is $1 billion or it is 10,000 crores? So it is good that you referred a particular name because it makes me easy for me to talk about. When you get into late stage companies, Baiju's, I will call it is a relatively late stage company. A late stage company's valuation is still a little easy for you to figure out because this unfortunately for ed education and technology as edtech byju's is uh, definitely a leader whether you know whether the valuation is good bad ugly it remains a leader in the segment but when you are closer to your maturity stage of the businesses then valuation is a lot more easy the real challenge of valuation lies when you don't have a single customer and when you don't have any revenue. For Baiju's, you can still use certain revenue multiples, certain other business multiples and come to a number and make yourself comfortable whether you want to pay this kind of valuation or not. But if I tell you that there is somebody who has created a company and he's going to make drones and he's going to do ABCD things, the company is yet to make revenue. The company is yet to have a single customer. The question is, how do you value that kind of a business? So challenge is much more for angel investing in terms of valuation than it is for the late stage valuation. But having said this, yeah. there is a challenge for late stage much more than what it might have for the early stage. And I'll tell you why. If suppose a late stage company's performance falters, You've given a certain multiple, you have given, you have certain expectations built in that this company will grow at a certain pace. And if it doesn't grow, it will have a huge impact in valuation because then it, the entire structure can tumble down. But if I tell you that there is somebody who is, who is getting into a particular business space and today they don't have customers, but this is the mobile app is ready. This is ready. This is what it is. And in next three months time, they will start onboarding customers. If you pay 20 crores to this company, you pay 10 crores to this company, or whether you will value it at 50 crores or 100 crores, you have no idea. Correct. That's a risk. You will only do that basis projection if that whatever the numbers the founders are talking about, if those numbers are making sense, will they make this kind of business in one year, two years, and three years? Basis which I will take my judgment, whether what kind of valuation can be given to a company. But it is often said in early stage startup businesses, 
that even if you pay a little extra valuation, if the company does well, it does not make a difference because the companies grow very fast, early stage. If, if in my business, I have no customers, but I start onboarding customers, my mobile app is ready and I might start making you know, some inroads, I will, have, I will start having my revenues. So a zero revenue company, the moment it becomes a one crore a month revenue company, there is a significant uptick which will happen in valuation by default. Because now the new investor comes in, comes in with visibility of revenue of one crore a month and takes it forward thereafter. So I took all the risk of making a bet on the founders. I should get the benefit. This is how it operates. Now, if the company doesn't do well, whether I've bought the company at a cheaper valuation or whatever valuation, it's still going to become zero. So valuation doesn't really matter as much in early stage. You have to spot the business idea, the scalability of the idea, the qualities of the founders. Valuation is not the topmost priority for an early stage business. Okay. Now, another question from an investor point of view. Now, you've been advising a lot of uh, uh, wealth managers also. I mean, at a, your previous avatar, I'm talking about at Finolutions. So, so uh, I'm, I'm your investor, for example. Okay. And, and you're running a wealth management. This is the question on behalf of my investors. Now, I've been given the choice of Cat 1, Cat 2, which is Angel and late stage. What Cat. do you think? Uh, how should be the allocation between these two? So, so because first of all, luckily enough, I'm not an advisor. So I, I, it's easy for me to start with this disclaimer because this is a very tough job to do. And my friends in the wealth management industry, I have a great respect because they do real this tough job of advising the investors. But if I was supposed a wealth manager and if I was as a wealth manager, I was supposed to advise an investor. I need to understand the risk profile of the investor before I do anything else. Needless to add, startups on face of it are more riskier compared to venture capital. Venture capital is riskier compared to private equity. Private equity is riskier compared to the listed equity markets. And listed equity markets are riskier compared to the fixed income options. Now, somewhere the investor will be able to make a choice and draw a pie chart of his own. Right? Yeah, so here the question oh. was assuming that the risk appetite of the investor is same for both the categories. Correct. It is Correct. only from a well creation point of view, given Correct. choice, where do you think Correct. the client can maximize the opportunity by generating additional alpha? Okay, so for this, let me do one thing if I can. Let me share the screen if it is allowed. Sure, please. Just go to share screen and and then it will come. Yes, I, okay. Yeah, visible. Okay. So let me speak about the risk factors and rewards and how we as startup investors look at opportunity. I will use this only one slide to explain. If I ask this question to my investor and say, which of these plants you would want to invest in? It's only one question I'm asking. I'm not even telling anything other than this. Most often, people will say that I would want to buy the plant Series D without even checking what is the price of each of these. Correct? So because the investor now is seeing fruits on the plant, 
the investor will feel safest in that segment. Now, hypothetically, this was a plant which was being sold for 1,000 rupees. Now, my question to you as an investor would be because if this plant is available for 1,000 rupees and you are an investor, what will this plant fetch after five years? What is your assessment? Your answer could be 2,000. Your answer could be 2,500. Your answer could be 3,000. Because you are buying something which is matured, and therefore, in five years, it will fetch 1,000 or 3,000 or whatever. Right? This is how it will work. As a startup investor, I look at these things very differently. I would say that rather than buying a plant for 1,000 rupees, can I buy a packet of 100 seeds for 1,000 rupees? I better plant those 100 seeds. If only 10 or 15 of this reach Series D, what money will I make? Now it is the investor who has to take a call that if those 85 seeds which did not produce returns to you, are you okay bearing that? If the answer is yes, then you invest in startups. If you want each and every company of your portfolio to do well and not die out, please, for God's sake, do not invest in startups. This is my short answer. Now, the way it works is, and the reason why SEBI also has kept a ticket size of 25 lakhs for this, is can now an investor can do an allocation gain. If an investor's net worth was 10 crores, giving 10% of it to a fund and invest in startups would have been a little challenging mentally for me. But if for a 10 crore net worth, if I have to invest 25 lakhs or 50 lakhs, I'm giving minuscule money and taking the risk with that minuscule money. Can I take that kind of risk for a much higher reward or potential? If that answer is yes, you should invest in startups. This is how my answer would be. Great, great. This really clarifies a lot of points. And I'm representing the investor community here. So absolutely yes. very small questions. So please don't yes. mind on those lines. Because I no, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Precisely that's the reason why. With a slide share, I am showcasing that this is how the mindset of the investor should be before even committing money to startups. So my next question is, Apurva, what is the total size of the angel fund today? A, and where do you see? Do you think that this will grow? Because and why am I asking this question? Is because there are a lot of investors who say that, look, I can participate in startup directly. You know, and there Correct. are a lot of legal documents that one has to go through without knowing that also. And then there is this set of, I mean, their friends together coming together and then they are uh, kind of negotiating with startup men, investing in those companies. And there are organizations who are offering these uh, services on individual participation also, as you know. Correct. Can you Correct. show some more lights on the, all these three areas and what should investors keep in mind while investing? Correct. So, yes, because you are absolutely right. There are multiple ways in which people invest in startups. Essentially, there are four ways in which the investments happen in startups. Okay. Uh, the first thing is, if there is a significantly large investor, uh, for his, own, his or her own domain, or otherwise, for diversification purpose, can straight away give a sizable money to the startup and be a shareholder in the books of the investors, uh, in, the, in the books of the startup which we technically call a captable investor. That is one mode of doing business. 
For example, let's and these are pure examples that we are talking about. If there is an auto ancillary startup from Pune which is getting groomed up, and one of the director of a listed automobile company feels that this is a great ancillary business, and he cuts a check of one crore and says, "This is my contribution to your business, and I will also guide you in terms of what your next steps in business should be." that kind of capital is a very very decent capital for any startup to have because i have a very good qualified investor who is helping me now that is what we call a capable investor generally comes from very wealthy uh, investors only and who give sizable money to a startup then we see a lot of people who create like what you just touched upon who create their own informal groups right there are three or four of or maybe 10 15 and in some cases we have seen even larger numbers of people coming together create an llp which becomes an investment vehicle for someone to invest into a startup and then they say that we will invest into a startup directly as an llp yes you can do that there is no problem in doing this but personally speaking we feel that's not the most ideal way of investing in a startup first of all why we say so is because we believe from a regulatory standpoint it is not a very good thing to do aif regulations have been brought out by sebi clearly to pull the unknown investors money into a vehicle and that vehicle can then go out and invest into a company the moment you create an llp you are bypassing the spirit of aif regulations and because you don't want to comply with sebi the same way as an aif is required to do you create an llp and invest via the llp is not an ideal scenario you can still do that if the llp is genuine if there are two or three or five friends who are associated with each other in some legal way then it is still okay but we have seen people actually inviting participation from unknown people and says sath mein milke llp banate hain that's not a very nice way to do because some day when this gets into the radar of sebi and it always will then there will be question mark on the legitimacy of those kind of llps so this is one category of investment which we personally do not like at all as an ideal scenario now i come to the third part of way in which you invest in startup is that there are lot of syndicates that operate which are platforms which again in the background use an aif category 1 license only but they they showcase individual startup ideas to investors so i might do a show with this group and say there is one particular startup idea which makes a b c d things this is the reason why we like them we get the founder to also come and speak and after that presentation is done the audience will take a call and say this startup is looking good bad ugly whatever you commit anywhere between the 2 and a half lakh rupees 4 lakh 5 lakh into one particular startup all this money gets pulled into an aif structure only a category 1 aif can take this kind of money we pull all this money and this money is then given to one particular startup of your choice and invested in however the rule says option, no this can be a good option no right this can be a great option but however the rule says that if you invest in this mode you have to commit 25 lakhs over a 5 year period bare minimum so even though you may be investing only 2 and 1/2 lakh rupees in one startup 
you will have to build a portfolio of 25 lakhs over a period of time. Right? That's the third way of doing business or investing in startups. Now, in simple terms, this is more like equity broking. I give a research report. You take a call whether you want to invest into this or not. Right? I'm not responsible as an equity broking house. I'm responsible only for the research of that particular stock. Now, whether you buy at the right time, whether you exit, you don't exit, is not my responsibility thereafter as an equity research house. More or less the same thing happens here in this startup. However, exits and all happen together via the AIF route. But that's one way. The final way, which is what is gaining a lot of attention of investors now, is to invest via a fund where you have a fund manager who takes a decision on your behalf and builds, builds a portfolio. Of course, he has to take your approval. He cannot build a portfolio of his own. But I will take your approval, and then the, the portfolio gets you know, built up for you. This is the fourth way of investing. This, this is, is how the entire structure works. Yeah, this is what I want to talk about. That you know, If you do it on your own, there was a time when you could have bought these businesses. Uh, from the listed, I'm talking about 90s and 2000 and 2002 onwards. You could have always bought uh, these uh, stocks, uh, listed stocks from the exchange. But those who have, those who realize in the early stage that mutual fund is a great vehicle and you get professional expertise, there is uh, a proper research team sitting, identifying everything and then based on that investing, uh, then those investors have now better experience. They have sort Absolutely. of yeah, grown year on year and they have more confidence in the market. Absolutely. So this, uh, that is the reason I asked you, what is what could have been the size of the angel investing in India, A, and where do you see going ahead? So I'll tell you the uh, exact numbers of angel investing per se is very difficult for anyone to figure out because SEBI publishes the data of category one, two, and three. But within category one, there is no segregation of data of angel investing alone, which sure. can give me an idea of what could be the size of the industry. Second thing is that a lot of angel investing happens outside of SEBI's fund mandate also. So for example, SIDBI supporting and investing into business will not get captured into a Cat1 AIF data. And SIDBI is the largest investor in India. Right? So it is difficult for us to get an exact number in that sense. But uh, one thing is for sure that this industry, so one way of looking whether this industry is, grow is growing or not is by looking at the registrations of AIF year on year. Yeah. Right. Which gives an idea that how this particular thing is picking up. Now, again, I will use screen share to show one particular slide. Please. So rather two slides very quickly, one after the other. First, let me highlight and say that if you look at the entire landscape of AIFs, more than 50% of the AIF, and AIF industry, by the way, is almost two and a half times, little more than two and a half times the size of PMS already. PMS has been in existence for 25 years now. AIF is just about a decade. And in this decade, this size has become two and a half times larger than that of PMS. But more than 50% of it is in unlisted space. 
the listed equity accounts for almost like only 16% in the entire frame of things in AIF. So unlisted space is much larger, is one takeaway that we need to have. Within this, let's look at only the first column of category one. This is slightly outdated data to the tune of this is only till June. But if you look at this, year 2022, which was apparently the worst year for startups, because you had some of the IPOs from startups that came and hit the market and created a bad name for startups. That year had the maximum number of Cat1 funds getting registered. Highest ever by a good margin. 2023, the trajectory is again very, very positive because 27 AIs registered in the first six months. I just extrapolate. We are again likely to be a year with about 50 plus registrations. Anybody who gets a license would generally take about a year, nine months to one year for it to come and hit the market and start raising capital. Which means that there will be a lot of Cat1 funds which will be now in the market. In a subdued market, when the markets are apparently not so great for startups, you will have a lot more demand which will come from these kind of funds, which is where we believe that what we call the startup winter may not last for too long. This is a very encouraging data point. So, so because one more, one more thing, what is even more encouraging is that even the CAT2 funds where your VC and private equity funds come from, even that count has grown very well in the year 2022 and growing even in 2023. That means that the angel funds will look at VC funds and private equity funds for exits. Luckily enough, that count is also growing. If that number would not have grown, my worry would have been much more because where will the exits happen? But here, exitability is not that big a risk now when we see that CAT2 funds are also on a rise. Yeah, so almost 1,200 AIFs now, close to 1,200. Okay. Now, from investor point of view, what should be the realistic expectation? Because if you look at Sensex and Nifty and history of the Indian equity markets, the listed equities on an average have been delivering about 11, 11.5%. To 12% broadly 20-30 years of data points. Mutual fund to say mutual fund has reached to 13, 14 and even the worst performing mutual fund in India. Correct. Now coming back to CAT 1, uh, what do you think? What should be the realistic expectation as an investor that I should carry? So, frankly speaking, because the word realistic is a little challenge for me to answer, but expectations I can share, still share. Yeah, because you are the manufacturer. So, you have been talking to all the startups. You've been evaluating right. them. And you would be looking at some sort of numbers that how much I'll be delivering to my investors. Correct. So, so let me uh, give you a scale. And I think this is something which I always speak to uh, you know, audiences that one should keep in mind. If you invest in public markets, the listed equity, your expectation ideally should be 12%, give or take 1% here or there, compounded annually. If you invest in private equity, your expectation should be 16. If you invest in venture capital, your expectation should be 20, ideally. And if you invest in angel investments, your expectation should be 24, compounded annually, ideally. Now, there could be some deviations here or there, right from listed to private equity, 
to venture an angel. But expectation-wise, this is a benchmark, if not an expectation, for anyone to have. That ideally, I should be in a position to generate 24% for the investor. Should be a benchmark of any manufacturer. So, having said this, yeah, please go. Having, oh, only one last thing. Having said this, if you look at the data which is published by Sebi and Crystal together, Cat One Angel funds have delivered. If I look at a straight line average since 2014 till now, have delivered 37.08% returns compounded annually, post right. expenses. It has delivered more. I am saying that the expectation that we should have should be much. Tone down. Let's not have thirty-seven percent expectations. Again, one more thing which I would want to highlight: two thousand fourteen and fifteen, even before the word startup was defined by the government of India, those returns were very, very poor. Very poor, meaning fourteen percent and nine percent respectively. It is only since two thousand sixteen, every year, that startup funds have delivered much better. But when I'm saying thirty-seven percent, I'm including those. Those two bad years, even before the definition of startups. If I remove that, then the yields would have been much more to the investor. But let's be fair. Let's be realistic. My number, a target number, should be about twenty-four percent. Okay. So my last question: If you can also talk to us about your organization, what you do, how you do, how do you select the startups? What's your investment mantra? Uh, 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 just want to know more about your your company. So, so when we uh, run our fund, uh, we were very clear on few things. We know that we are talking about an asset class which is slightly difficult or a complicated asset class for investors to understand. So we took one very important call at the very start. We said SEBI allows any AIF to charge up to two percent or actuals. Uh, Towards the legal fees or setup fees that we would have incurred for setting up of an AIF, we said this is our first fund. We want to really make a brand out of whatever we do, and we said we will not charge any setup fee to the investor. That up to two percent, whatever the cost is, we said we will bear it on our we'll take it on our balance sheet and move on. Second thing is there is an up to two percent of operating expenses which. Is generally speaking charged separately to the investor, which is true even for PMS and AIF everywhere. We also took a call and we said we will not charge any operational cost to the investor. The audit fee and everything we will bear on our head, out of the management fee that we charge. So there is no extra cost that the investor will pay. We don't want investor to even get bothered about the reconciliation of account statement. I'm not charging anything. Forget it. Let's make the entry very smooth for an investor. The third thing that we took care took care of was we had with twenty five lakhs we decided we will invest in roughly about thirty five startups, give or take two or three here and there, which means that we want to go slightly diversified in nature and not make a very concentrated portfolio on startups because that's where you end up taking more risk also. So we said, less risky, well diversified portfolio is what we will create. From a thesis point of view, we took a call. We said we will have a very strong preference for co-investments. Why co-investments? 
if suppose because you and I were to invest as women into any startup, and if the startup does well, three years, four years down the line, we have come in as an investor. We want to get an exit. Three years, four years down the line, where do we get an exit? Most often, what happens is every one of us, all the investors who come in, will start looking at the respective phones. How many VC funds you know? Call some of the VC funds and say, "This is good company for you to evaluate. Would you want to buy?" Now, because the reality is, if individuals come in and invest in startups, exit will become huge a challenge. But if you co-invest along with significantly large names. Exit becomes much more easy because if I can't reach Tiger Global or a SoftBank, someone else will. Right. So a strong co-investor. So if you co-invest along with Bloom, you co-invest along with Sikova, you're less bothered. Your due diligence part is also taken care of significantly with these people. Right. So I'm nowhere saying that every you know anyone is perfect in due diligence. But rather than me boasting that I have a four-member team in my office which does due diligence on startups, will I still be able to match Sikova in terms of ability to do due diligence? The answer is no. So why to replicate something where someone else is better? Focus on your own filters, and work on your strength. So we said we will work preferably on co-investments as a team, as a major thematic point of view. Second is. My joint venture partner, India Accelerator, is a significantly large name in the startup ecosystem. Last year, they won India's best startup accelerator award. Also, right? across geographies, uh, they have multiple uh, setups in in NCR. Uh, with the government of UAE, there is one accelerator that operates out of Dubai. There is a similar partnership that we have in U in US in Silicon Valley. We are in advanced stage of discussion with a couple of other countries. Within India, India Accelerator has opened up in Ahmedabad now, and in the process of opening up in Pune and few other places. Which means that there are that this works more like a startup university. So when you have access to that quality startups in house, plus the option of looking at co-investments with other partners, became our theme. Finally, we also decided one more thing. Because the biggest challenge that we see for these kind of funds is, besides two or three partners, there would be one or two other people on advisory board, and they collectively take decisions whether a startup is good, bad, ugly for you to invest in. Instead of having those two or three advisory board members, we have done something which is extremely radical. We have a forty-one member advisory board spread across eleven different domains. Because you've been interviewing a lot of people, show show me one fund which would have had a forty-one member advisory board. Oh, nobody. Okay. What we have done is this: forty-one members are divided across eleven different domains. Now there is a cyber tech company that comes to us, and we have to evaluate a cyber tech company. I don't need to go to forty-one people there. I will go to only four people, who okay. are specialists in cyber tech. The remaining thirty-seven people have no role to play there. But the moment I have an agri-tech company, I will go to agro specialist only and not go to the other people. But you need to have a panel of specialists for every domain, and we will only take decision on investments after 
a domain comfort has come into investments into a company very few funds will be able to boast of this kind of a structure uh, finally you have a choice whether you know for example we did one company called and I, I don't know how many of this audience is from bangalore but a very popular company at least in bangalore by name samosa party Uh, it's a uh, it's yeah. it's a very simple company that makes samosas but somebody who makes very structured samosas and you know sales about to touch a lakh samosas a day you need to give it to them because they've done a wonderful job kalari capital was the lead investor and we co-invested along with kalari capital into this company great investment but when we showcase this to some of our investors some of our investors came back and said okay we don't want to invest into this company because they also make non veg samosas in our fund we will take that consent from you if you don't want for your religious belief or otherwise if you don't want to invest into those companies we will make a clean portfolio of your liking so those options are uh, doable because you are seeking the consent at the time of seeking the consent client can say no to it correct absolutely so how does it work like you'll have 27 26 27 ideas one of the idea let's say i decide to skip then you would look at giving me another idea at the same time Correct. or yes i will maybe generally speaking later because same time i will be giving that idea to everyone so that will be a little roll over which will happen and what is the tenure you get uh, generally i mean the, your fund tenure okay so the fund tenure is 7 years from uh, the final close Uh, which is going to happen in the next about a month, month and a half now. So, the seven-year period is worked out in this fashion. The, the first two years is where investors pay money to us in in installments. So, while I spoke twenty-five lakhs of commitment, the investor actually pays only twenty percent of it now. To start with. To start with. And, and every six of- months, every six months, I will keep calling twenty percent of money. Twenty percent of so, the actual, which is about five lakh. Right. So, if suppose somebody is committing twenty-five lakhs, it is like five lakhs every six months to be given to us. So, two year is the investment period where we keep uh, the drawdown period where we keep taking money from the investor. Yeah. Generally, the exits is something which we can start expecting from the third to fifth year in between, typically from fourth year onwards. So, investors should have patience for the year three and four. Yeah. Then you will start seeing exits happening, uh, as in when there are opportunities that keep coming in. So from fourth year onwards, you don't prefer to redeploy. Correct. And you prefer. We will to never. To... We will never redeploy. If at all there is an exit that comes in six months' time, we will still not redeploy. We will give the money back to the investor, which is very good. Yeah, understood. Okay. I got it. It was pleasure talking to you. Absolutely great. Absolutely great. What was this? Yes, I, I I didn't even look at the time. It was that great. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's absolutely pleasure reading your mind and so much to yes. learn from you. A lot of data points which would I'm sure would help all our investors to take right. right decision, informed decision before they uh, commit right. with any of the uh, startup. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. What about that? Yeah. So thank you so much, uh, and I also want to thank all the investors who have taken the time out from their business. Yes, same here. Logged in today, so if, uh, if you want to know more about it, please reach out to us at aipms.com, or if you wish to book an appointment with Apurva, do let us my, let my team know. 
and we'll get this organized. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.